0: You are always late. You're wrong. You never listen. We live in a world of criticism and cynicism. The words we hear are often harsh and hard. The world needs better words, encouraging words, words that build up and give life. Using words like this are what dynamic duos do.
1: Uh, you'll come forward at this time. So I want to introduce, uh, many of you are familiar with Tim. This is uh, Tim Carmody. Uh, Tim retired on September 11th after uh, 42 years. And I know some of you are doing the math in your head, how is that possible? Um, but uh, 42 years in, in law enforcement, he was most recently the police chief in uh, Council Bluffs and uh, four decades of uh, service and that's like a, a really, really cool thing. Um, So Tim has done a lot over uh, around here over the years. Um, He started off probably in youth ministry when his uh, kids were in high school when we started. Then uh, you'd left OPD. I think you were like an assistant chief there, and he became the chief of police in Fort Dodge, Iowa. He was gone for a few years, but when he came back and became the police chief in Council Bluffs, uh, just started in a lot of roles uh, here volunteering at the church. He's led uh, Bible studies, house churches. Um, he's one of the leaders of our disciple Bible study. He's uh, chaired our last capital campaign with uh, his wife and another couple. And he's also uh, uh, led our leadership team as well during the last uh, year or so. So uh, me and Tim put one and one together, and we got two. Uh, Tim is not ready to retire yet, and we've grown so much over the last couple of years that so we just need more help around here. So he's our newest staff member, so that's really cool stuff. Um, he um, uh, is going to be the director of uh, discipleship and leadership development, and uh, we don't have the job description quite done yet. He starts on uh, October 1st. but. My favorite part of his job description is like number 13, I'm going to come up with 12 other things, but uh, other duties that's assigned by the senior pastor, so you're not the boss anymore. And, uh, <laughs> I'm not sure if I have me either, but uh, um, no, we're just so grateful. You bring so much, uh, we were talking about this at our leadership team meeting, and uh, one of the women on our leadership team said, you know, we just, we can't find a better person for." what we're looking for, and uh, I agree wholeheartedly. So, Tim, we are glad you're on board. You've been a fixture uh, around here for a long time, and now you come in as a different role, but I personally am just looking forward to working alongside you, and you bring gifts, and skills, and talents, and passions to the church that we just need this uh, right now at this stage in our life. So, I'm gonna pray for Tim. So if you all extend a hand of blessing, let us pray. God, I thank you for Tim, and Lord, even for his uh, service to our country, to our city, uh, as a police officer, a police chief. Um, Lord, there's many times that he uh, sacrificed a lot and he was willing to sacrifice all so that the rest of us can be uh, safe. And we're just uh, grateful for that long history. And God, even during those 42 years, uh, you used him to you know, share the gospel in so many different ways and so many different situations. and. God, you bring him into our uh, church as a staff member now, and um, Lord, he's already done so much. It kind of seems like he's a staff member, and now we're just making it official, and Lord, I just, uh, I look forward to all the things you're going to do in him and, and through him. Uh, God, I just know that he's going to bring you know structure and leadership and passion and evangelism to our church. and. God, help us to become the church that you want us to be. So, God, for Tim and Nan, and I'm just uh, grateful for both of them, and I pray that this next season in their life is one that is just uh, beyond blessed. And, Lord, we just pray for our brother Tim, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, brother. Yeah, so you're in the church now. You uh, hug and not handshake, so that's uh, lesson number one. Yeah, so We're doing a series on dynamic duos, we're looking at relationships, so this is going to be applicable to you know, those of you who are married, those of you who have friendships, uh, those of you who have children, those of you who have parents, uh, this re- it applies to like all the relationships. So I want to start off by talking about Saul. Saul is not one of the dynamic duo here, he's the dad of one of the dynamic duos, so uh Saul had three things uh, going against him. One is the prophet Samuel was against him, and Saul gave Samuel every reason to be against him. Uh, I assume Saul probably—I'm not a psychiatrist, but I'll just pretend I am one. Uh, I assume he probably had bipolar disease. And you can just look at this throughout his life. There's times that you know he was highly functional, if not you know manic, and times certainly he would have you know dealt with depression. Um, if it wasn't that, Saul was dealing with something. Um, So Samuel just, uh, he burned the bridges with Samuel. Now, he had a second problem. That problem was uh, this up-and-coming rising star who was part of the dynamic duo I'm going to talk about, and that was David. So Saul had uh, the title. He had the palace. um, He technically had the power, but uh, David was the person that people looked up to. Everyone saw David, and David knew that he was... uh, Five-star person, and Saul was a two or three-star person at best. Everyone wants uh, David to be their king, and Saul was just kind of losing the comparison battle to David uh, every time he compared himself to David. And then the third thing that Saul had going against him um, has anyone ever heard the song Antihero by Taylor Swift? So uh, I'm just trying to show you how cool and hip I am. Um, <laughs> I had to do some research, but uh, it's. <laughs> It's the one where she thinks like, yeah, I'm the problem, it's me. Um, so, yeah, Saul was his own problem. He just got in his own way. And uh, his life was set up for him, and he, just, he, didn't, he never took care of it. So he had a son, Jonathan. Jonathan is the other part of the dynamic duo. So David and Jonathan are this week's dynamic duo. I don't think that Saul was probably much of a dad. Um, I think at his best, he really tried to set Jonathan up for success. At times, uh, he did pretty good, but there's just times like you just read through like First Samuel, and it's just, just it's just painful to read sometimes. How many times uh, Saul dropped the ball on really being who Jonathan needed him to be? So let's go to First Samuel chapter 17. So there's a very famous uh, story here, but I'll tell you what happens before the famous story. So David was uh, the up and comer. Uh, the dad's name was Jesse, uh, basically a nobody. David was a shepherd. Now David did two things so exceptionally well. Thing number one is uh, he was a musician. You know, so he'd play his harp and his songs, and he wrote the psalms. Um, and you know, uh King Saul's headache would go away. Uh, he was he was just that good. Like he was an artist, but then on the other hand, he was a warrior. And we see this one in 1 Samuel 17 when. It, Came time to fight the Philistine giant Goliath. Uh, it was David. I'll take him on. And David took a river rock and put in a slingshot, and all of a sudden the mighty Philistine uh, you know, had been killed. And you know, David like he had this rare blend of like courage and bravery, and he was a warrior. But then on the other side, he was like this uh, you know off the charts creative talented artist. Now, David uh, was appreciated by Saul. Saul had to appreciate him. I mean, um, how would you like to feel when you have this migraine headache and all of a sudden this kid's playing this harp and, you know, your headache's gone? Or he also saw David as a huge asset. Like, you know, this guy is, he's not afraid. And he goes out there and he's a skilled warrior. And, like, he's an asset to me in that way as well. So in First Samuel chapter 18, uh, David goes and meets with uh, King Saul Now, here we have dynamic duo principle number one, and it's this, friendship isn't based on affinity. A friend is somebody you make part of your life because you feel like it. So Jonathan was there, and I'll get to that in a second, but so Jonathan would have been like a prince. He would have been an heir to the king. David was uh, a sheep herder. Uh, Jonathan was, was much older than David, you know, probably 20, 25 years, we're guessing. Uh, so they didn't really have, like, that affinity that you would think they would have, but here's how the friendship started. In 1 Samuel, Samuel chapter 18, verse 1, uh, by the time David had finished reporting to Saul, Jonathan was deeply impressed with David. And here's what happened next. Um, you know, despite being a different age, despite being from a different socioeconomic class, you know, despite probably other notable differences, uh, an immediate bond was forged between them. He became totally committed to David. From that point on, uh, he would be Benjamin's number one advocate and friend. So, uh, I used to be a a marathon runner. I think my last marathon was in 2011, you know, Benjamin, you probably actually remember this. We used—I uh, used to run with a woman whose name was Christy, and I would, you know, push Benjamin in the stroller. He's 22 now, and a little bit heavy for me to uh, push, even if I was a runner. But, you know, me and Benjamin and Christy, and uh, we'd run around Lake Starnesky dozens of times. And you know, some some weeks we'd probably run 60, 70, 80 miles a week together. We did this for you know two or three years. Um, so. We have so many differences, me and Chrissy do. I mean, it's been 12 years since we've run together, but you know, we're still friends and there's no affinity. Like, she's a woman, I'm a man, um, I'm a lot older than her, she's still a runner, I'm not. I mean, she has tattoos all over her body. I think she's run out of places and I think she might be done with that. And someone asked me if I had a tattoo once, and I said, you know, have you ever seen a bumper sticker on a Bentley? And, uh, So everyone without a tattoo is laughing at that, and those of you with him, (laughs) So her nephew was uh, killed in a car accident. Uh, He was uh, on a wrestling team in um, western Iowa, and uh, he was out running on a gravel road, and uh, he was run over by a car. And the moment I heard this, like, you know, it doesn't matter that I'm older, it doesn't matter that... You know, she's a woman, I'm a man, it doesn't matter that we don't run together anymore. It doesn't matter that uh you know, we have a difference of opinion on body markings. Um, you know, I just went there right away, because I couldn't imagine being anywhere else. And at this point it has nothing to do with affinity, it has everything to do with uh friendship. I remember like the next seven or eight days were basically spent with her family, like taking them through what would be certainly life's most uh uh, unbearable crisis. Um, you know, the same way though. David was hurt last spring playing lacrosse. Um, we thought he tore his Achilles, and you know, we got home from the game, and who's the first person I call? She's a physical therapist, and you know, she drops whatever she does, and you know, she helps the kid. Uh, turned out that it was a bad sprained ankle, but the principle is there. Like, you're not friends. Um, Because of age, you're not friends because of gender, you're not friends because of location, because of where you work, because of what you do, you're friends because you can't imagine your life without the person. Um, Now, dynamic duo principle number two is that friendships aren't free. You just gotta know that, but you gotta know this as well. Uh, There's nothing uh, in life that has value that's free. Um, And friendships are no different. So good friendships are gonna... Good friendships it, 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 takes time, it takes time, you know, time that you invest. Um, you know, good relationships mean that you, uh, you know, put aside your preference for talking and you listen to understand. Good friendships uh, they can cost you like relational capital to other people, and we see that here with uh, with Jonathan. Saul was so at this point Saul was just it took about a chapter and a half, but Saul was done with David and he wanted to kill him. Um, he just. He was tired of people talking about how great David was. He was talk. He was tired about like, said like, well, he's the next leader. So Saul was furious with Jonathan because Jonathan was, you know, friends with David, and and he yelled, "You're you're no son of mine, you traitor! Uh, I, I've I, I've uh, I know you've chosen to be loyal to the son of Jesse." So he wouldn't even say David's name here. He said he, he's basically like the son of this nobody. Like you're friends with the son of this this nobody. You're a traitor. Um, you should be ashamed of yourself and your own mother, who like she's not much to write home about either. Your own mother should be ashamed uh, that you were even ever born. So, can you imagine like a dad saying that to a kid? I mean, it's heartbreaking to to read that. And that friendship, though, with David, it uh, um, you know it cost Jonathan. Now. David suspected that Saul was trying to kill him. Jonathan did want to believe the best in his dad. So David said, okay, let's try to figure this out where we can see if he's trying to kill me or not. So Jonathan goes and uh, tells Saul that uh, David's gone for the day and Saul was gonna kill David that day. And um, you know, Saul got irate because he wanted David dead and David supposedly wasn't around, although he was hiding. At that point, Jonathan knew that his dad was trying to kill David, so they had to say goodbye. Um, They figured out that indeed Saul was trying to kill David, and they got an escape plan for David. So, Here's what they said when they said goodbye, uh, at least for this time. Jonathan said, go in peace. The two of us have uh, vowed friendship in God's name, saying, now here's here's what friends say, here's what dynamic duos say. Uh, the two of us have vowed friendships in God's name, saying, God will be the bond between me and you. So it's not just that there's a bond between me and you. God is the bond uh, between me and you. And then, I'm going to come to this part later, and uh, between my children and, and your children forever. So you can see that part of being a dynamic duo is a, a commitment. Like, you know, There's a huge commitment to like, relational health, and it, it, it takes work. So at least it's is dynamic duo principle number three is friends don't do what is easy. Uh, friends do what is best. So um, let's look at where we are in the, uh, the Bible story. So then Jonathan, the son of Saul. So David um, was again trying to you know, escape from Saul. Saul was trying to kill him. So here's what Jonathan did. Jonathan, he didn't send him a text message because uh, text messages weren't invented yet. Uh, he didn't even send a messenger, which he could have. Like, he was the king's son. He could have said, hey, go tell David this. Uh, he actually went and he did this himself. Then Jonathan, son of Saul, figured out where David was. So think about that, like, well, I don't know how to reach you. Well, you figure out where they are. You know, sometimes that dynamic deal relationship, it just takes work. And, and he went out he didn't do the easy thing. He did the tough thing. He went out to meet him at Horush. Although David and his men were in a tight spot, okay, so you'll have friends that are in tough spots. You're going to be in tight spots as well. Although David and his men were in a tight spot, Jonathan reassured David's faith in the, in the true God. Now, I remember, like, you know, I've talked about this before, but um, really, like, I lost two of my three best friends last year. Uh, one was the pastor in Kansas, and he died in March, and you know, the other was our, uh, our worship leader that I really started the church with 17 years ago. And even as I look around the room right now, I'm just like beyond grateful for people that didn't do the easy thing, but they did the best thing. Um, they didn't know what to expect when they called. They didn't uh, maybe know what to say. Uh, but there's just so many people that you know, chose not to do the easy thing, but they chose to do, like, the best thing. And, like, for me, I'm just beyond grateful for that. And that's what, like, dynamic duos do, is dynamic duos, they they go the extra mile, they seek, they find. Um, Sometimes they just sit, sometimes they're just present. None of those are the easy thing to do, but they're always the best thing to do. Now, dynamic uh, duo principle number four, and this is my last one, Although the sermon's not even near or over, so don't get your help, so there's a whole other section after this. So dynamic duo principle number four is, uh, you know, friends use good words. Um, so I've done three weddings in nine days. Uh, and one of the things I always do is, you know, as I meet with a couple about the marriage, I always talk about like the five love languages and One of the love languages is words of affirmation. So for men, 46% of us, this is our top love language. Um, For most of the rest, this is gonna score as number two. Now for women, I think the most common one is acts of service, but uh, a close second is words of affirmation. You know, so the way we speak to each other, it always emerges in these conversations. And I remember a long time ago, I was working with a couple, and. Um, her love language was the words of affirmation. Like that's how she wanted him to love her. Now the marriage was actually like on pause. Like we went from the wedding planning to like couples counseling. Like should we get married or not? And it really did come down to this. I think about 75 to 80 percent of their marriage dysfunction was because like she just hungered and she thirsted for these for these loving, graceful, life-giving words. And not only was he not doing that, like he was being very critical of her and it 's not because he 's a bad person because he 's a good person. Um, it was just he was trained, he was kind of tattooed in the cradle, like he thought it was very normal to like be critical of other people you know so this woman like you know on one hand like loved this man at his best, but then she just wasn 't receiving the love that she needed to receive from him, in fact, she was getting the exact opposite of that and like That was really like the thing that we worked on over the next few months, and um, they ended up getting married, Uh, they moved away, I don't know if it ended up happily ever after or not, but the point is still the same. Um, Like these words are so important, these words are so powerful, they're so profound. Like uh, 1 Samuel 23 verse 17, so this is the next verse. Remember, Jonathan has just tracked David down, he didn't do the easy thing, he did the best thing. He didn't do the convenient thing. He did the right thing. And now, once he found him in his moment of bother, he says, uh, Don't be afraid. My father Saul will not get his hands on you today or any other day. Someday you will be king over all of Israel. Now, can you imagine hearing those words? Uh, you're on the run, you're in hiding, and all of a sudden, your best friend, like from nowhere, makes a special effort to see you, and he says, hey, don't be afraid. You know, things are going to be okay. Things are going to be okay. You know, this week, I had gotten back on Sunday night from a wedding I did in Michigan after the one I did in Canada, and um, you know how the week after you're gone, it's like a really, really busy week, and it was no exception for me, and then, um, then, like, someone left some Laffy Taffy out, like, in the lobby, and I bit into it. Then all of a sudden, I'm chewing this Laffy Taffy, and it's crunchy, and I haven't had Laffy Taffy forever. I didn't know they had a crunchy version of it. And it turns out that they don't. They, it was my crown from one of my teeth that was in there. So then I had to go to the dentist. Um, you know, We had a, a large funeral here on Friday. And by, by Thursday, I was overwhelmed. Like, I just, probably if you saw me on Thursday, I wasn't the best person to be around. And I was, you know, went from my office in the conference room to the mail thing. I had to check my mail. And I got mail. And there was one thing that totally like, has changed the last four days, and it was this. So uh, a woman that our, uh, so this is the, from the CEO of Amigos for Christ, um, that's where Morgan Coyle, one of our missionaries, works. And she's a busy woman, I assume. I don't know her very well. She was here with Morgan, and like, this is what she did. I don't know if you can read this, but here's this woman that runs this company, and it's a big company. And, like, I sent Leander a picture of this, and I said, just so you know, like, this is a template on how to write somebody a thank you note. Um, in this one, it just totally changed everything. Um, all of a sudden, I wasn't overwhelmed. I was not focused, but I just knew what I had to do in front of me. Um, I wasn't, like, annoyed. I was just grateful. Um, and I think the thing that really changed it is... Uh, One of the things she wrote, is like she just said, I see in you, blank, blank, blank. I said, you know what? Um, I'm not gonna believe that I'm undisciplined or I'm behind. I'm gonna believe what she told me, that she thinks about me. And just think like, you can do that for somebody. Because that's what dynamic duos do. It doesn't have to be a thank you note that you write longhand. it can be a text message. It can be looking in someone's eyes and speaking good words. But I really do think without these really good words, you're not gonna have a dynamic duo. You know, if there's negative, critical words, there's no dynamic duo. If there's encouraging, uplifting, life-giving words, there is a dynamic duo. So, all good things come to an end. Um, and it wasn't much after this that they did come to an end. So. Uh, the kingdom was overthrown and uh, Saul was killed and it would have been very common as well to kill everybody below Saul. So the reason they do this is because they don't want any future uh, uprising in the future. So Jonathan was killed. Um, now I love what David wrote about his buddy. Um, in Second Samuel chapter 1, verse 26, he says, I agonize over you. Uh, the Hebrew word is just this really beautiful word. It's just like my heart is broken. Um, I don't know how I'm gonna move forward. Uh, this translator says agonize. I agonize over you, my brother Jonathan. I have, uh, I have delighted in you. That's one thing dynamic duos do, is they delight in each other. And your love for me was, was wonderful. Now one of the things that dynamic duos do is they point each other and they point others uh, to Jesus. And I think the ultimate gift that Jonathan and David give to all of us is their legacy points us to Jesus. There's a lot of foreshadowing in the Old Testament or the Hebrew Scriptures. There's there's none that's better than the story I'm about to tell you. Um, So in 2 Samuel chapter four, verse four, this is uh, after Saul and Jonathan's death. They're talking about the grandson now or Jonathan's son. So it happened that Saul's son, Jonathan, had a son who was maimed in both feet. Uh, when he was five years old, the report on Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. So here, what's gonna have to happen is like they have to escape, because from the oldest to the youngest, any living survivor in the palace uh, is gonna be killed. That way it prevents like, this future uprising. So his nurse picked him up and ran, but in her hurry, uh, to get away, she fell, and the boy was maimed. His name was Mephibosheth. Now, they didn't have orthopedic surgeons back then. This boy was dropped. He landed on his feet and broke both feet, and he was never able to walk again. Now, let's fast forward a few more chapters to 2 Samuel chapter 9. So, do you remember that covenant? you remember that pledge that Jonathan and David did? They said, like, um, "You know, my heart is with your heart, and it's not just with you, but... It's with the future generations. So one thing dynamic duos do, even if the other party is long gone, is dynamic duos keep their promises. So David asks, is there anyone left in, in Saul's family? If so, I would like to show him some kindness in, in honor of Jonathan. So he's thinking, I made this promise to Jonathan, and if there's anybody around I'm gonna keep this promise. So the king asked, David asked, um, is, there anyone, is there anyone who's left from uh, the family of Saul who I can show some godly kindness? And Ziba told the king, yeah. There's, uh, now it's, it's, it's interesting what he says here and what he doesn't say. There's Jonathan's son and, and he's lame in both feet. So do you know what he didn't say here? He didn't say Mephibosheth's name. Because obviously, to him, it wasn't worth mentioning. You know that regime is gone; that they're, they're dead. Like he's a nobody now. Don't even know his name, but I do know that he's lame in both feet. He can't walk. He's a cripple. So here, like, we don't know the guy's name. We just know the label. And you know, welcome to America in 2023. There's labels all over the place. Um, you know, I have labels. You have labels, like. We're anxious. We're, we're fat. We're a failure. Um, you know, we're divorced. We're widowed. Uh, we're shy. Like whatever it is, like we carry these labels with us. Um, you know, Mephibosheth was it? He was lame. He was crippled. Now he continues in verse four. He's living in the home of Machir, son of Ammin. That doesn't really mean a lot, but the next part does. Uh, he's living in Lodabar. So here in the Hebrew, it's, uh, Lodabar means like, barren land or, or desolate place. Like the only reason that you would live in Lodabar is because like, you're running or you're hiding or you just don't have the resources to live anywhere else. You know, so if you're from Lodabar, you're pretty much a nobody. Now, we've all been to Lodabar before. There's some of us who are there now and there's some uh, you might even feel like you're a permanent resident in Lodabar. We have addresses like Gretna and Ashland and Omaha and uh, Elkhorn. But for many of us, our, our land is the land of Lodabar. I think of a friend who's recently uh, divorced, and he just doesn't get to see his three kids very often. His postal address is Omaha, but he's living in Lodabar. You know, a high school uh, young boy that lives there. Um, because he is absolutely crushed by the weight of his parents' expectations. His is the land of Lodabar. I know a couple who lives there, their marriage wasn't the best in the first place, and she's recently lost her job, and all the financial stress is not helping the cause any. They live in Lodabar. The other girl was told that she's fat by her uh, dance teacher, and she's not fat. She just heard that she was, and... She's trying to do everything that she can not to be, and hers is the land of Lodabar. Yeah, there's the uh, person who struggles with depression. There's the woman whose dreams just aren't coming true. There's the guy who's addicted to pills. Like, yeah, I could say Elkhorn or Omaha or Ashland or Gredden on the mailbox, but they're living in Lodabar. Um, It has lots of people. There's some who are passing through. There's some who have been there before and never want to go back, and there's some who are just kind of stuck there. So when Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, in verse 6, was the son of Saul, came before David, he he bowed deeply, abasing himself, and honoring David. Now, you can't blame him for this, because Mephibosheth didn't know David's heart. He just knew that David was the new king, and he knew that the new king could do whatever he wanted to the people of uh, the old king, and even though Mephibosheth uh, couldn't walk, he was still a past heir to the king, and Mephibosheth just knew, he absolutely knew that David was gonna kill him. He had no reason to believe otherwise. And then I love what David says in the next verse, verse seven, and maybe this is for all of us who are sinners, uh, for all of us who are afraid, um, for all of us who see like, God as a taskmaster and religion is following a bunch of rules that we just can't quite get done. Um, so he says to Mephibosheth, there's no need to be frightened. I intend to treat you kindly for the sake of your father, Jonathan, who who is my loyal friend. I will return to you all the territory that belonged to your grandfather Saul and and you will always be welcome in my table. I love Mephibosheth's response. His response is the same as uh, my response when God offers grace to a sinner like me. Again, Mephibosheth put his face to the ground and said, who am I? Who am I? Why why should you care for a a stray dog or why should you care for a, a dead dog like me? So then, to conclude this uh, story, um, I love verse 13, and this is where they give us a glimpse of of the Gospel. Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, taking all his meals at the king's table, and he was lame in both feet. So what's interesting is, uh, the disease was never cured, the affliction was never removed, but it didn't matter. Like he was eating at the the king's table. Now I think about Jesus and the parallels between his disciples and David and Mephibosheth. So Jesus was talking to a bunch of Mephibosheths, people who didn't deserve the kindness, people who didn't deserve the grace. Um, People who were probably saying like, who am I? Who am I to receive this forgiveness? Who am I to witness your miracles? Who am I to uh, hear and experience your, your teaching and your friendship? Well, Jesus knew that they're the beloved children of God just like all of us who are sinners. You know, we're God's beloved and Jesus says to the disciples and he says to us, friends, this is my, uh, this is my body. He, he blesses the bread, he gives thanks for it and he, he breaks it. And says, friends, this is my uh, body that is given for you. When you eat this, do so in remembrance of me. So what we get to remember is just like David like, reached out and, and, and found Mephibosheth. What did Jesus came to the world to seek, and he came to the world to save, and he came to the world to forgive, and he does that for us. You know, it's because of... Uh, our belovedness with God and it's because of his work as as, as Lord. So then later in the meal, Jesus, he took the wine and he blessed it and he gave thanks and he said, friends, this is my blood. It's the blood of the new covenant that's been poured out for you in the forgiveness of your sin. When you drink of this, do so in uh, remembrance of me. So for all of us who are sinners, which is all of us, this is really good news. Um, Jesus invites us to his table not just to experience uh, his presence but to also experience his forgiveness. And I pray that this can be real for us this morning. I pray that um, as we come and we receive this meal together, like what happens as we're doing this in our dynamic duos, many of you have come uh, with people you love, all of us have come to be uh, on this day as part of a church and we're all together as one family so we have this meal together and we also share this meal with God so let us pray. Almighty God we pray for the the juice and the bread that is before us and God it's just with gratitude um, that you seek us, that you forgive us, that you you come to save us of our, our sin and give us an abundant life in this world and and eternal life in the, in the world to come. Lord, we're, uh, all of us who are like Mephibosheth, all of us uh, um, with the lame feet, all of us who live in Lodabar, you know, the labels that we, that we carry, the addresses where we, where we live. God, we thank you that um, you sent Jesus to the world to invite us to your table where we can feast forever, despite... Our shortcomings despite our, our, our failures god you 're the author you 're the perfecter, you 're the pioneer of of, uh, of grace and laura 's your recipients of grace we um, we just shout out and we uh, just are so grateful for uh, for your uh, blessings upon us god I, I pray for um, the relationships that we're a part of. Lord, help us to do our part to make all the duos a little bit more dynamic. Help us to be encouragers. Help us to be people uh, who will not always do just the easy thing, but we're going to do the hard thing. We're not going to do the convenient thing for us. The people don't have to like us. They don't have to think like us. Um, God, we just, people are part of our lives because they make our lives better and we're, We're grateful for all the people who make our lives better. So God, for the forgiveness of sin, we thank you. And Lord, I pray today that something great happens, that not just have our sins been forgiven, but we live as uh, forgiven people. So God, um, it's just with gratitude that we come to you and we now together in one voice pray the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. All right, so if you're new to us, since we've done communion the last time, just want you to know that um, everybody here is invited. We do believe here at The Water's Edge that we're all children of uh, God, that we're all brothers and sisters to Jesus and that his grace is available to all of us. Um, you know, despite our shortcomings and despite our failures, we're welcomed and embraced at his, uh, his banquet table. So the way you'll do this is you'll uh, be given a piece of bread. You'll dip the bread into the juice and then you'll eat the uh, bread that has been drenched in the juice. If you're on a gluten-free diet, uh, all of us have gluten-free bread at our uh, station and we would encourage you to um, uh, take the gluten-free bread. We'll uh, provide that for you. Um, Let this be a time of worship. Let this be a time of prayer. Let this be a time of uh, reflection. We don't get a lot of quiet in the world today. Uh, We don't get a lot of space where we can dream and, and think and pray. So as others are coming and you're sitting in your seats or after you've received the meal and you go back to your seats, um, just honor this moment of silence, honor this moment of of worship and uh, use this time to connect to the God who wants to connect to us. So I invite you to come forward now and receive the Lord's Supper.
0: If it's bandaging the broken Or washing filthy feet Be glad I chose to say love you. And when When I'm standing standing in your glory, I'll I'll be glad glad I chose to say Live to hear you say, here I am, Lord, send me. Here I am, Lord, send me.
1: Well, through this communion meal together, we receive encouragement, and now as we go out Let's go and be encouragers to others. On your way out, you'll notice there's two tables with these dynamic duo cards. And uh, we want to invite you all to write a note to someone this week in your life that needs encouragement. Mail it to them. Get it to them sometime this week. Hopefully it will be that note, that encouragement that they need to just turn everything 180 degrees. So thanks again for joining us at the Water's Edge. And we'll see you next week.